Good morning, everyone, and happy solstice to you all. It's wonderful to see everyone. This week I was preparing a talk on suffering and the relationship of self to suffering. And as usual, our Sangha has um, helped me, <laughs> uh, given me good material for this talk this week. So I had some wonderful suffering experiences um, to share with you. And the last week um, I got a call from Domenica and Brenda announcing to me that they were moving. They were moving from this area to Florida. That came as a tremendous shock to me and I was counting on them to be here and to attend Oan and to be pillars of our Sangha. Not that they won't be uh, in Florida, but definitely something, something shocking and a sense of uh, loss. Um, <clears throat> a few hours after I spoke with them, my brother called me <laughs> and told me that he was moving to Florida. He lives about three and a half hours from me and is really the only family I have anywhere close. Uh, and that came as quite a shock. The following day, Joanna Lewis came for Dokusan and informed me that she was moving to Maine because she, she gave me permission to announce this even though she couldn't be here today. And she is also a Sangha member who has been very uh, dedicated and has shown up. And then of course, I knew that Max was not going to return to Bradford, although that has changed, but one after the other announcements of bye, I'm going. <laughs> Unexpectedly, of course, Joe has already disappeared even though he's here. Um, he's moved to Tennessee. And I'm preparing for Shulong to <laughs> disappear. <laughs> Ramon is gone. Nikolai disappeared as well. And each of these announcements, I have to say, just um, broke my heart. Um, I regard the Oan Sangha as family. It's a very um, deep sense of connection that I have with everyone, perhaps even more so than my blood family. And so over the years, I've come to call Oan, come and go Zendo. 
come and go Zendo. And I have developed a strange syndrome, which I've called pre-traumatic stress syndrome. Pre-traumatic pre stress syndrome. That is, I am always anticipating the trauma of losing Sangha members. So it's a kind of pre-traumatic stress. And I had sort of gotten to the point where the Sangha was kind of stable and consistent. And that sense of pre-traumatic stress was relieved somewhat. And with all of these shocking departures, it resurfaced. That feeling of um, shock at loss, of things suddenly completely changing from where they were and what you anticipated them being in the future. And of course, impermanence is something we all know about and, and acknowledge, but when it actually happens, it's uh, like in Dogen's um, uh, Genjo Koan, he speaks about the fact that even though we understand impermanence, we still grieve at the dying of flowers <laughs> and we still um, react uh, uh, to the growing of weeds. That is, we're human and we experience loss, we experience sadness, we experience um, grief. It, and of course, I, I suspect that each one of you on some level has had your heart broken. Sometimes, um, and you can feel it. Uh, sometimes it's a very small crack. Um, some, something disappoints you and you suddenly, oh, I thought I counted on that, but it's not happening. And so you kind of feel that little uh, tenderness, that little shakiness inside. Uh, and then, but sometimes it's a major break, a shattering that someone perhaps has betrayed you uh, or, or you're, I don't know what, what breaks your heart. Sometimes I see the suffering of animals and I can feel that. Uh, it breaks my heart to, to, uh, to, to witness that. Uh, but there are all kinds of times when our heart is broken um, and in, on, in different ways with friends, with family. Uh, that's, a, that's a big one. When somebody in your family um, betrays you or uh, 
hurts you in a deep way or a colleague you, you have relied on uh, or even something in the world, uh, these, these wars or genocides, um, the children starving, of course, all of this is heartbreaking. And, and so there are, there are things that break, you, break your heart that, that you experience just as a human being and times when they're very personal, uh, when they touch you in a very personal way. And <clears throat> this, is, um, this is very uncomfortable. Um, it's painful. And there are all kinds of advice that people want to provide us when our hearts are broken. Uh, usually it has some form of, it's some form of distraction. Uh, you know, just get busy, you know, just, just fill, fill your mind with all kinds of um, distracting thoughts or get physically active. Just, just be really physical, go out there and exercise. And, and that will sort of, um, that, provide you with some kind of catharsis. Um, or um, from a Buddhist perspective, we can, we can advise people, this too will pass, <laughs> you know, um, don't worry, time will heal, time will heal this, things will change and, and your heart will, will recover. Um, or we go to therapy uh, to try to uh, process the pain or ways to, to heal it. Um, and people are very, um, very much wanting to fix, to fix this sense of brokenness. And they're very well-meaning. Um, uh, even sometimes just forget it. You'll, you'll, uh, you'll find something else. Uh, you will go somewhere else. Uh, you will have another relationship. Um, but in our practice, um, though we're not, <laughs> we're not masochistic in any way, this brokenness, this shattering, uh, this um, deep sadness or grief is something to be uh, embraced, uh, to be to be worked with, to be with, and our practice actually includes this kind of suffering. Um, I want to talk about this metaphorically um, by. Uh, bringing to our attention a practice in J Japan, which is called Kintsugi, which means golden repair. In the reminder for this week's service, there is a heart, a ceramic heart, that has a, was broken in two places. And it was repaired with a gold lacquer. This is called kintsugi. And it began 
um, in the 15th century in Japan with a shogun uh, a leader who had a very precious tea bowl and he broke it. And in order to retain that bowl, which was very precious to him, he sent it to China to be repaired. And they sent it back repaired with staples. Shulong, do you have that slide? Uh, and I wanted to show this to you. Now that's, that's the, that was the one that was repaired with gold, but the one there. So you can see that that crack in particularly in this, in this particular bowl was repaired with staples. And okay, we can, we can come back to me. The Shogun felt that that was a very unsightly and crude way of repairing that bowl. It was almost as if it was a kind of mechanical operation. It didn't show respect and honor to the bowl. And so he searched for some artisans in Japan who could do a better job at repairing his bowl. And yes, there were some artists, some potters who were willing to take greater care and transform that bowl into something of great beauty. And so we can look at that other slide. Um, this, is, this is a bowl that was repaired with the gold leaf a very different a very different image than the one with the staples and you can see that there are many cracks many many cracks in this bowl it's almost as if okay we can we can come back it's almost as if that bowl was a map of a life, of a life of many, many brokenheartednesses, <laughs> brokenheartednesses. So many times our, our heart is chipped, broken. And of course, as we age and grow and have deeper relationships, we leave ourselves more and more vulnerable to have our hearts broken, to experience loss. Now in that heart, maybe that heart in our reminder email was a young heart and it was only broken in two places. But the one we just looked at was broken in many places. And all of those places were repaired um, with gold. That is, they, they are part 
They are a, an image of our lives, the golden quality of our lives. So maybe the larger message here is not simply about um, having your heart broken because that's one of many ways to experience distress. So the message is in a larger sense about suffering, about the many ways that we suffer. And in our practice, when we, when we speak of the Four Noble Truths, there is suffering, there is a cause of suffering, there is an end to suffering, and there is a path to that. I would like to invite us to approach this notion of the end of suffering in a somewhat different way. And that is that it's not just that suffering is eliminated. It's not that kind of ending. It's not final, no more suffering. <laughs> and and if, we, if we believe that, if that's what, how we interpret this teaching, then we are going to suffer more. <laughs> We're going to suffer from our suffering, <laughs> which is needless. We will continue to suffer. We will continue to crack. We will continue to break. We will continue to shatter. But what it means is to be released from the suffering of suffering to be, it's, it's almost like when we say, um, uh, we're, going, we're going to be free from hunger. This is, does not mean that we'll never be hungry, right? It means that we can, we can be confident that we'll always be fed, that we will, we will find nourishment. So being free from hunger doesn't necessarily mean it's just natural to be hungry, <laughs> just as it's natural to have your heart broken. That's what the heart is made for. It's made to be broken. And it, it just like every other organ in the body, which is designed to do a specific thing, like breathe and digest our food and um, see and hear, the heart is designed to be broken. And it can be mended. It's not that it will never be broken. Uh, this is, I constantly stress this notion that we are practicing to be flesh and blood Buddhas, not stone Buddhas. So if you hit a stone Buddha 
over the head with a stick, there's gonna be no response. But if you hit a flesh and blood Buddha with a stick, that Buddha will say, ouch. We feel pain. We say, ouch, that hurts. That hurts, but I can repair it with gold. In fact, one might say, and I've, I've, I've understood in reading this book called Say Yes to Life by, um, by Viktor Frankl, which I highly recommend, that the, the inability to suffer is a real illness. that one who cannot suffer isn't human. And it's tremendously distressing to someone who cannot suffer, has no heart or has a hardened heart, which is often the response that we make or maybe you're encouraged to make when we are shattered is to harden, to harden our hearts, to armor ourselves, to staple things together. As people will say, put yourself together, get yourself together. That's not our practice. It's not about stapling things together. It's about repairing things carefully, lovingly, compassionately with gold, with the gold of compassion, with the gold of, gold of wisdom. So often, I know um, sometimes Hemingway is quoted uh, quoted saying, we're all broken by life, but we're stronger in the broken places. I'm not so sure that, again, from my perspective as a Dharma teacher, that I would um, advocate for focusing on the strength that we get in the broken places. Because those cracks in the bowl that were repaired are not necessarily stronger, but they are more beautiful. So we may not, we may not be stronger, we may continue to be deeply vulnerable, but as human beings, we become more beautiful, more fully human. Actually, it is great, much more challenging to be human than to be a Buddha. It's easy to be a Buddha. 
That's our birthright. <laughs> We're Buddhas, whether we like it or not. But to become human and to manifest in this human life, our deepest birthright, that's the, ch that's the challenge. That's the beauty of human life. So if I hit you over the head with a stick, I expect you to say, ouch. <laughs> and if I hug you at some point in the future, I expect you to say, ah. 